right, glad you're with us and buckle up. What a day. 800-941-SHAWN. If you want to be a part of this extravaganza. You know, I'm watching this squad. I guess that uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was actually cooking macaroni and cheese when she made a lot of comments and suggested that uh, inform millennials, inform millennials like her. Is she a millennial? I guess we can. Yeah, probably. I guess. Right. Okay. Um, Are the first generation to protest government. Uh, did she ever learn in school about, I, look, I know I've offered to send them on a trip, the whole squad to, to go see a real concentration camp. If they're willing to get a tour by educated people that will inform them along the way of the horrors and the mass murder of millions of people in those death camps. And then as part of the trip, Considering they make so many comparisons, that is the squad to Nazi Germany, as the uh, as Congresswoman Tlaib and Omar said about Israel. Oh, we boycotted Nazi Germany. Okay, well, what does that mean? Or the you know the the concentration camps that are detention centers. Well, the detention centers that we've sent our cameras to, well, they actually have beds and they have blankets and. Oh, my team is about to start drinking. Why are you drinking alcohol at this time of day in there? What is that disgusting looking? That's rum chata. Okay. Can I ask you a question? The show just started. We're two minutes into the show. Why is my staff? It's 10 o'clock someplace. No, that'd be five o'clock somewhere. Uh, I I don't drink with the sun when the sun lights out. Mr. Buffett. Um. Can I ask, uh, Linda, if you're not too busy, why you're drinking at the start of the show? I'm actually very busy right now. All right. What, what are you drinking and why? What What is the purpose of this alcohol in front of me besides the moonshine that's always there? What, just needed a drink. You just needed a drink. So what did you get? Rum chata. Rum chata. What is rum chata? Horchata con ron. Caribbean rum with real dairy cream. Okay, and you're going to actually drink that puke? You're about to see me do it. <laughs> All right. Going to be a hell of a show. Buckle up out there in, in radio <laughs> land. Buckle up, America. Buckle up, America. going to be a winner. Like, apparently, it's going to be a real winner. Um, all right. Let me not digress anymore. There must be something going on. I see a card. Is there some event that I'm missing here? This, oh, you're the event. There's a card. We're doing this in your honor. All right, whatever. Yeah, Jason, do you you'll tell me the truth. What, what is it all about? There's no card. We're just playing who's the coolest Kennedy. Okay, great game. I never heard of it. So, so AOC literally made the bold claims in this uh, Instagram live video, suggesting that millennials and Generation Zers are better informed, more well versed in history than past generations, and apparently uh, even forgot about the turbulent '60s. Uh, and that they're the first that are willing to go to the streets to challenge their government. Now, the New York Democrat, she's 29, millennial herself, in the video streamed Tuesday night, describing how she thinks today's young people are surpassing past generations. I think young people are more informed and dynamic than their predecessor, she says. Young people, she says, uh, they actually take the time to read and understand world history. Okay, this is the least informed person in the public arena now. 
as evidenced by the, the squad's continuing referencing of Nazi Germany and comparing them to detention centers. The detention centers with beds, blankets, uh, and soccer fields and rec facilities and phones and TVs and food and water and medicine and baby formula and diapers and doctors. I, I mean, I'm not saying it's ideal, but, you know, if you come into another country illegally, uh, that's pretty good treatment, if you ask me. Everything's taken care of. Now, if you try to go to Australia or New Zealand and they catch you, what they're going to do is they're going to put you right back in whatever vehicle you came in and send you right on your way back home and they will escort you. They'll be nice about it. They'll give you food, water for your return trip. If you need medical attention, you'll get medical attention for your return trip. But does she actually believe this? I am willing to pay for the entire squad to get an education on Nazi Germany and concentration camps. If she thinks that she is the most informed, and this is the first generation, the most informed generation that ever protested government, that is beyond arrogant and shocking. And frankly, it is dangerous. And then she uh, patted young Americans on the back for their activism and said, I think this new generation is very profound, very strong, very brave because they're actually willing to go to the streets. Previous generations have just assumed that government's got it. Now, of course, that again, that overlooks a whole generation of people in the 60s, um, which was marked by political protests. Did she ever hear of the civil rights movement in this country? She needs to study the civil rights movement in this country. One of the I got a great education at one point in my career when I went to Atlanta and I got to meet some of the bravest people ever uh, as, as it relates to being able to make social change and make this a more perfect union. You know, everybody from. Maynard Jackson, the first day I was on the air in Atlanta, Maynard Jackson called me and welcomed me to the city of Atlanta. I thought that was pretty cool. Then I got to know people like, oh, Joseph Lowry, who used to come on my radio show and then later TV show and Andrew Young. Now, they didn't agree with me. I even did events. I did some of these events. Uh, Cynthia McKinney at the time. I got to know Hosea Williams. He was my favorite. Hosea Williams, every Monday before Thanksgiving, we're not going to make it, Sean. Two, 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 ninety nine, ninety nine, and but we got to feed the hungry. And every year he'd have the biggest feast available for anybody. But on Monday before the Thursday of Thanksgiving, he had nothing. It was always a dire emergency <laughs> hours before whether we we're going to get enough food to feed everybody. And it always happened. And I went down. And but um, if you remember in history, people had. Fire hoses shot at them. John Lewis had a brick thrown in his head. Uh, these protests that took place for civil rights, these were people led by Martin Luther King Jr. that put their lives on the line and faced anger and hostility. Yeah, they actually took to the streets and they they brought about a change in America that is deep and wide and profound, and they did it only on courage. Some of the most courageous moments in, in the history of this country. And they made this a more perfect union. They deserve all the credit for that. 
and I got to know a lot of these guys. And when I got to know them, I was I was very more. How could you not be impressed knowing the dangers, knowing the hostility, knowing the atmosphere? They would march and they would walk and they did it peacefully. The other side was not always peaceful. Maybe she ought to look at some of the images of fire hoses, dogs, arrests, and and things that are being pelted at a peaceful protest. Some of the toughest times we've had. And by the way, the Democrat, we got the 64 Civil Rights Act and the 65 Voting Rights Act. Yeah, Lyndon Johnson needed Republicans because Hillary Clinton's mentor, uh, Robert KKK Byrd, was busy filibustering the Civil Rights Act, Voting Rights Act. Al Gore's father was nowhere to be found as a senator on those two big pieces of legislation. You know, J. William Fulbright, Bill Clinton's mentor, he was a Arkansas known segregationist. He got the Medal of Honor from Bill Clinton. I mean, I it's a little shocking. I don't think I can. I, I, I would take a I'd have to hire history professors for a couple of years to maybe get this generation that's so bright and smart up to speed because we can't even get the squad up to speed on what a real concentration camp is. And what happened in Nazi Germany and what happened in the 60s and what happened with the civil rights, the courageous civil rights leaders of our time that made real change, positive change with the country. Anyway, goes on to say, uh, you know, I guess months after uh, the decades began, we remember San Francisco protesting the House Un-American Activities Committee for their investigations of suspected communists. We have protesters arrested as police uh, turned fire hoses on them. What became known as as Black Friday. Civil rights movement featuring protests from led by Martin Luther King Jr. and, and others, black Americans, their allies. That led to real significant, profound change and improvement to make this a better country, a more perfect union, the Civil Rights Act, culminating in that act in 64, Voting Rights Act in 65. Did she never see any video of the Vietnam War, which inspired massive demonstrations, including at the 1968 Democratic Convention? That convention had tens of thousands of protesters taken to the streets of Chicago that summer. A lot of violence, hundreds were injured. You know, there were clashes with police. The National Guard were called in, you know, but I guess political protest never existed before the 60s. Oh, yeah. With the notable notable exception of, I guess, maybe like the Boston Tea Party. I, I'm, I'm really just it, it. I don't even know what to say when somebody says something this ignorant. But the squad keeps making ignorant statements like this. And the worst part is, is they're leading the Democratic Party. It's their Green New Deal that every 2020 Democratic presidential hopeful is clinging onto with some version. Where in this utopia, everything is free, 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 free. But the lifeblood of our economy, oil and gas is gone. The combustion engine is gone. You know, the the terrible schools that we have now that are failing dramatically you know, well, we'll just we'll just expand the number of years that kids go to government schools and think maybe that's going to help. You have 13 high schools in Baltimore. Not a single kid is proficient in math or reading. That is a disaster. 
How does that happen when we pay more per capita per student in this country than any other industrialized country? And yet we're 37th. Now, prior to making her statement about previous generations and their complacency, I mean, is she ever? John Lewis is in Congress. I mean, go sit down with John Lewis. Talk to talk to him about what he did, about the marches he was in involved in. He was in the march from from Selma to uh, Montgomery. He was there. Ask him about what happened. Go to the archives and and pull up the video. There's something I'm sure you know. There's an invention. I'm pretty sure if you Google it, you can find the video. You can learn very quickly. You can get caught up to speed. Talk to people like Congressman Cummings. I may not agree with their politics. I didn't agree with Joseph Lowry's politics, but I respected the hell out of him. Smart guy. Andy Young. Brave, tough. Hosea Williams, same thing. Maynard Jackson, same thing. And these guys put their lives on the line and they took what our our imperfect framers gave them. They gave them a roadmap and the ability to right wrongs and correct injustices. And they did it at one at some of the highest levels in some of the toughest conditions with some of the greatest examples of bravery and courage that made the country a better country. But apparently it never happened before. None of this ever happened, according to AOC. All right, as we roll along, this does not surprise me. Washington Examiner uh, has an early release of a Rasmussen survey finding a majority of the public believes that it is appropriate for politicians to criticize reporters and hold them to the same scrutiny as they uh, as they cover. Now, I can tell you the latest group of people to get it wrong over at Conspiracy TV, uh, MSNBC, the Rachel Maddow Area 51 conspiracy channel. They came out last night. They had huge, big, breaking news. Oh, gosh, I can't believe it. And, you know, turns out none of it is true. Then there's the other part, the loan documents. And that is part of what this subpoena is going after. And hmm. this single source close to Deutsche Bank has told me that the Trump, Donald Trump's loan documents there show that he has co-signers. That's how he was able to obtain those loans and that the co-signers are Russian oligarchs. What? Really? Russia, 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 that Russia, Russia. Explain, it seems to me, every kind word Donald Trump has ever said about Russia and Vladimir Putin, if true. And I stress the if true. Oh, now, let's report it and then we'll put in the word, the safety word, if true. That's what we'll do. We'll, we'll have a safe word. If true, that's what we'll call it. Make it this is bombshell. It explains everything. Well, NBC got a letter from, let's see, from a law firm today. And the law firm was writing on behalf of the president, the Trump organization, demanding a retraction, correction and an apology. Sorry, Lawrence. Sorry, Rachel. That would be another lie. Another hoax. Another conspiracy that you're spreading to your ever-diminishing audiences. I right, 25 till the top of the hour, 800-941-SEAN, toll-free telephone number. So uh, now we reported this 
another example of we being right and the media mob being wrong uh, that we expect four separate reports that will be coming out. We, that's what we think at this point. John Solomon believes there's going to be a separate report on leaking, uh, like in the case of McCabe. We're also still awaiting a decision on whether they will prosecute or not prosecute the former deputy FBI director, uh, McCabe. And uh, but the we expect the first report now to be released tomorrow. Now, that means that that would be the report on James Comey. That would be, I'm told it's some 60 some odd pages. And I'm told that it's not going to read well for Jim Comey. The only thing that Jim Comey might get out of this is the likelihood that the attorney general, even though we, we are prepared, it's going to recommend some type of action be taken against Comey. In other words, he's being referred to There is a criminal referral on the former FBI director in this report, so I am told. Whether that happens, I don't know. But it's going to be, you know, as this goes on, and then we're going to get the Pfizer report. Then that, you know, that's James Comey all over that, too. That's James Comey, who went and was warned ahead of time, who then went forward with premeditated fraud on a FISA court, claiming material that was bought and paid for by Hillary Clinton that was unverifiable was verified. And he was warned repeatedly that, in fact, it was not verified and that it was political and that the person that put it together, that would be Michael Steele, Christopher Steele. Christopher Steele didn't even stand by his own dossier. So that's going to be the real big one. The, The first real big one tomorrow, though, is. From what I hear, it is not going to read well for James Comey. But this is separate and apart from Michael Horowitz's Inspector General report on the DOJ's handling of the Trump-Russia probe. And that report sometimes referred to by Republicans as the investigation into FISA abuse. And then we be- I believe there'll be yet another report, maybe the Durham report, the Barr report, the Barr-Durham report. And that's going to get into the origins of the Trump-Russia investigation. And that will then take us into the abuse in the intelligence community. And what I believe will prove is the outsourcing of that which is illegal by our own intelligence community to allied nations intelligence, uh, intelligence gathering agencies like Italy's and let's see, Great Britain's and Australia's. And basically they subcontracted out that which was illegal to circumvent U.S. laws in this country to allied countries. Now, I'm not sure why the inspector general chose to write a separate report on Comey. Uh, We have already learned that there was a criminal referral. We have already learned that Comey was lacking candor. That's a nice way of saying that he lied. Uh, We also know, among other things, that Comey is in the forefront of the big report that, as I understand, has been completed. And that big report now is being worked on in terms of whether or not there are any redactions that will be necessary. I also understand that, I guess, Comey and others have been given an opportunity to respond to some of that. That's always disturbing to me. Nobody gave Donald Trump and his team an opportunity to see Mueller's report ahead of time. Well, 
that I know of. Anyway, Comey's memos, well, he shouldn't have taken those memos. That's government property. What he did is a violation of the Espionage Act. That was confidential FBI documents. And one month after he was fired, his own former agents came to his house and had to interrogate them and retrieve these documents that he should not have had in his possession. The memos began when he went to visit Donald Trump, then president-elect in Trump Tower in January of 2017, before he the inauguration. And that all continued, by the way, the memos through April 2017. That's the month before Trump was fired when Trump fired the FBI director. One of the smartest things he ever did in retrospect, Comey telling Congress that he sent some of the memos to a friend. That would be illegal, by the way. And for the purpose of being leaked to the New York Times and Comey hoped media reports would then set off a firestorm and any hope would ultimately result in the appointment of a special counsel to investigate the Trump Russia matter because he actually was the one responsible for creating the false narrative by lying to the FISA court in the first place. That's precisely what happened with the appointment of his friend, Robert Mueller. Not sure what conclusions they are. I do understand this will come out tomorrow, but that is the first in what will be many reports. This is going to get very interesting, very, very fast. But if, you know, we have to raise this question, we already know, I, I don't see a whole lot of movement as it relates to enforcing the Espionage Act on Hillary Clinton, especially in light of what we now know, that the fix was in, the investigation was rigged, the exoneration had been written long before the investigation took place. We even have Struck and Page, you know, writing each other, texting each other. Yeah, right. We know that we know the this the fixes in here. We know that it's being run by Loretta Lynch. They put it on Loretta Lynch's lap, which, by the way, probably isn't a stretch considering what we know about Loretta Lynch and her meeting on the tarmac just days before that decision was going to come down as to whether or not they would pursue any criminal charges against Hillary Clinton. The evidence is overwhelming. It's incontrovertible. She had a private server on that private server. She had confidential, private, top secret, classified, special access programming information. Now, of course, the original exoneration used the legal language which was then changed to extreme carelessness, you know, and that was done to protect Hillary. So they can't say, oh, yeah, well, you know, gross negligence is the standard. Let's change that. Let's get rid of gross negligence. Well, what if, if she's putting all of this information on a private server? Then I have the lead investigator, or one of them, Peter Strzok, find out in the process of all of this that the Chinese had actually hacked into Hillary's email server and that they were receiving everything that went in there in real time and he didn't lift a finger to do anything about it. Why not? And why would Strzok, who was also involved in the interrogation of General Flynn, why would Strzok be interrogating Hillary Clinton and then people involved in the case that were given immunity like Cheryl Mills and one other person, they were allowed to sit next to Hillary Clinton during that time. All irregular and all under James Comey's watch, just like what they did to General Flynn. They, you know, we had unmasking, we had surveillance, unmasking, the leaking of raw intelligence, real crimes. We know Hillary, that is a violation of 18 U.S.C. 793. Then, of course, you care about obstruction. That happened there. Then premeditated fraud on the FISA court. All of this happened. 
So that will be the beginning tomorrow. Uh, we expect that report is going to be coming out. Numerous sources of, we have have been telling me all day that this is happening tomorrow. So we'll probably have it by the time we get on the air tomorrow. Um, but that's, a, you know, if we have a system of justice for the Clintons, you know, that sends Christian Saucier to prison for a year because he had six pictures of a submarine on his phone that he shouldn't have had violating the Espionage Act. That's a problem. If either Comey or McCabe are showing a lack of candor and that would be lying to the FBI. That would be lying to congressional investigators. Well, those were things that let's see George Papadopoulos. He had to plead guilty to that. Uh, General Flynn, who they didn't even think was lying. He, he did a plea deal on that. I hope Sidney Powell withdraws that plea at some point, considering what we know now. And that is McCabe, the deputy FBI director told General Flynn, he doesn't need an attorney. I thought you had the right to remain silent. I thought you have the right to an attorney. If you can't afford one, one will be provided. Whatever happened to the Miranda readings to General Flynn, they said you don't need an attorney, but it was an interrogation. And then the FBI director, McCabe's boss, the number one guy, Mr. Super Patriot, uh, brags about taking advantage of day four of the Trump administration and the natural chaos that would occur in any transition. And he sent his agents in something he acknowledges he would never do in the Bush or Obama administrations. Highly irregular. Why? Now he has to now where he's waiting for his sentencing. And as we get to know more and more, when we find out that even Strzok didn't think that General Flynn was lying. And you have to ask yourself, well, why did General Flynn, you know, agree to a plea deal that said he lied? Well, I think the answer is pretty obvious because he's going bankrupt, had to sell his home. And from everything that I've heard from every source I have is they were threatening to go after his own son who was in business with him. So you're a father and you get, okay, what do I got to do? So if I sign this paper and admit to something I didn't do, you'll leave my family alone. Okay. Here's my signature. What do you do under those circumstances? You go fight it. You don't have the money to fight it. You don't have a home anymore. How far can you take it? It's unbelievable. I just, so if all these people, Manafort, Cohn, Flynn, Papadopoulos, you know, their lack of candor gets them time in jail. Why wouldn't that apply? Those standards apply to McCabe. Why wouldn't those standards apply to Comey? I can't imagine any of us that put top secret classified information on a on a private server knowing that it's illegal because Hillary knew it because at the State Department, she warned her own employees not to do stuff like this. Pretty unbelievable. Um, we can't have a dual justice system. Good luck deleting emails and destroying hard drives and phones if you ever get subpoenaed. I don't think it's going to work out well. I don't think it would work out well if you lie to judges either and you and you you're warned that what you're giving a judge is a lie. I don't think that would work out too well. We have an update on the issue of the border wall. Washington Post Border Patrol tweeted that they expect to complete 450 miles of brand new border wall construction by Election Day 2020. That's more than double the 350 miles of pedestrian wall that existed before the president took office. The other 300 miles of so-called existing wall are just vehicle barriers, which only stop cars and trucks, not people on 
on foot. President has now issued orders to contractors to put the pedal to the metal, finish the entire wall by the end of next year. And if you don't think that's possible, just Google three words, the woman rink, which I would love to see the president kind of adopt the city of Baltimore, at least part of the city for that. Anyway, so the president is now pushing everybody to uh, complete 500 miles of fencing uh, in his first term. Uh, which I think would be a good idea and another promise kept. And I hope he gets it up now that he won the court case and they can, in fact, reallocate those billions of dollars from the Defense Department to help build the wall uh, as past presidents had done. And as I told you, it would work out that way. Some people were angry at the time he gave up on the fight. He just changed. He wouldn't give up on the fight. He just changed strategies. Uh, let's see. NBC poll. 62% of voters say they're very uncomfortable backing a 75-year-old presidential candidate. Now, remember, way back in March, before sleepy, creepy, crazy Uncle Joe stumbling and bumbling his way through these campaign appearances, not to mention forgetting where he was and insisting he's not going nuts and trotting out his brain surgeon to say his brain is working. Then gets a ringing endorsement from his wife. Oh, I know you may support someone else. You'll have to swallow and vote for him. A full 62% of voters feel, quote, very uncomfortable voting for a presidential candidate over 75. Biden is 76. He'll be 77 on Election Day. His birthday, November 20th. So by the time he takes office, he'd be 78. Not looking too energetic out there on the campaign trail either. By any stretch of the imagination, that I can tell you. Um, we got a lot coming up on the program today. Don Jr. is going to join us at the top of the next hour. We're going to give you an update in the case of Clint Lawrence. I mean, the fact that this poor guy's still in a jail cell, 20 years he's sentenced to jail. He had 15 seconds to make a decision to save the lives of his platoon members is unconscionable. We'll tell you about the latest efforts to get him Released Austin Goolsby and I will talk a little bit about the Green New Deal uh, versus the Trump economy and uh, much, much more. All right. Donald Trump Jr. is going to join us about uh, how the left thrives on hate and wants to silence conservatives. That's next. And we have much more. Oh, I have another minute. Linda, why are you stretching? You, sh- you look tired. Did the drink, did it work? Whatever. Not at all. Not at all. Not one little sip of the what, coconut. The I'm milk. Irish. I can drink all day. All right. So it looks like a rummy milk thing that comes out of that. What, what is it called again? I call it delicious. What is it called, though? Rum chata. Rum, ch- rum chata. Our friend Charlie Daniels is listening. He didn't believe me. I had to send him a picture. Uh, now you have moonshine. You have vodka. Yeah, but I need something that goes down beer. easy. We have beer. We have it all. I mean, we have like a full bar here. Not that we ever drink it. You're making your staff sound like an alcoholics here. Uh, I'm not the one that started drinking two minutes into the show today. That would be all of you in there. I see a card. What is that card for? The thank you from Katie's mom. Oh, that's nice. Carol. She's a wonderful person. Indeed. And you guys had a nice dinner. We did. All right. Uh, We got Don Jr. coming up uh, next. Uh, He's written a book. It's coming out soon. I'll tell you about that straight ahead. You cannot be civil with a political party that wants to destroy what you stand for, what you care about. That's why I believe if we are fortunate enough to win back the House and or the Senate, that's when civility can start again. If you had to be stuck in an elevator with either President Trump, Mike Pence or Jeff Sessions, who would it be? 
Does one of us have to come out alive? <laughs> yes, I'm angry. Yes, I am outraged. Yes, I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. When was the last time an actor assassinated the president? <laughs> I, 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 I want to clarify, I'm not an actor. <laughs> You get out and you create a crowd and you push back on them and you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. Donald Trump is a guy who you understand he hurts you and you and my testosterone sometimes makes me want to uh, uh, feel like punching him and uh, which would be bad for this elderly out of shape man that he is if yeah. I did that. So when he was elected, what I wrote on Twitter was we should impose martial law till we make sure that the Russians weren't involved in the final tallies of the vote. And people were like, martial law, what's wrong with you? You're a lunatic. You're- well, he wants to send the military to the border. So I would have sent the military to the White House to get him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had a dream the other night about that. I was playing golf with Donald Trump and I was standing beside him with a club in my hand. And I was, you know, considering my options when I suddenly woke up, you know, it was one of those dreams where you want to just get back to sleep so you can finish it, you know? Put Mr. Burgess up against uh, Sean Hannity. He'll tear him up. I want you to argue with him and get in their face. And- Press always asks me, don't I wish I were debating him? No, I wish you were in high school. I could take him behind the gym. That's what I wish. What we've got to do is fight in Congress, fight in the courts, fight in the streets. Ordinary people who simply saw what needed to be done and came together and supported those ideals who have made the difference. They've marched. They've bled. Yes, some of them have died. This is hard. Every good thing is. We have done this before. We can do this again. Boys, I'm concerned the Tea Party can go straight to hell. In fact, the only thing your mouth is good for is being Vladimir Putin's holster. He's a punk. He's a dog. He's a pig. He's a con, a bull artist, a mutt. He's an idiot. He talks how he wants to punch people in the face. Well, I'd like to punch him in the face. Trump. It's no longer down with Trump, it's Trump. And in that orderly and formal way and lawful way, we need to overthrow the government of the United States under Donald Trump. But Michelle Witt says that, you know, when they go low, we go up. No. no. When they go low, we kick them. That's what this new Democratic Party is about. All right, there you hear it. There's all the love and happiness and light and bringing togetherness of the modern Democratic Socialist Extreme Party. Uh, Joining us now, Donald Trump Jr. A lot of the threats against him and his family have been well chronicled. Doesn't seem that the left cares about threats against them, Uh, even against an 11, 12, 13 year old kid. uh, That's happened as well. Uh, Now, Donald Trump Jr. is coming out with a new book this fall, and it is called Triggered, How the Left Thrives on Hate, Wants to Silence Us. Uh, Mr. Trump, sir, how are you? I'm doing well, Sean. How about yourself? Uh, It's really not that hard to do this job because all you have to do is replay every dumb thing that they've said, every threat that they've made. This is now I call it the mob because it's a mob mentality. It's every second, every minute, every hour of every 24 hour day, every seven day week, every month, every year. They wake up. They hate you. Yeah, they can't even see the hypocrisy in it. What I always like to do and what I'll talk about in the book. Imagine Donald Trump or imagine even me, Donald Trump Jr., said those things in the clip you just played. 
the level of outrage, it would actually solve our mainstream media problem, Sean, because their heads would explode. There'd be none of them left. But when they do it, just fine. Total pass. No problem. It's really disgusting. You know, and they don't talk about the things. You brought it up right. I mean, you know, when, uh, you know, my family opened up an envelope that contained a white powder substance, you know, no problem. No big deal. He probably deserves it. He's a conservative. Uh, we're playing two very different games, and uh, it, it's pretty sad to watch what's happening. Well, I don't think I don't think this will ever be a bigger choice election than the one that's coming up in 2020. But you talk about this double standard. Now think about this, and you were part of this whole Russia, Russia, Russia. If you watch, hey, the- I, was, I was the number two person they went after, probably after my father. You know, I was the guy that they were hoping they were going to nail. You know, oh, I, I, was, uh, I, I can't do that for two years. I can't tell you how many times I'd hear from uh, people, oh, they got him. Oh, they got him. Oh, they, Donald Trump and his son, they're going to jail. They're this. They're going to be impeached. But you notice they go Russia, 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 then impeach, 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 then collusion, collusion. And then they move to stormy, stormy, and then racist, racist. Um, and what it well, is. You, you, you forgot cover up, Sean. You forgot cover up. And then once all of those fail, then it goes back to Russia, Russia, Russia. I mean, they literally did that last night. Well, then uh, it's so a ma- getting a night. And it's a manufactured yeah. crisis at the border. And you heard about the uh, allegation that a 15 year old girl was raped in Maryland by an illegal immigrant or the sanctuary cities and states that allow convicted illegal alien criminals that have even committed violent crimes. They're protected from being deported. And, and everyone gets free health care, too, on top of it. But here's the thing. And, and uh, by the way, and I would agree, 99 percent of people just want the great American dream that we have. The I thing agree. is, is that this now is it, it is selective because if they cared about election interference, they would have cared that Obama tried to beat Prime Minister Netanyahu and he interfered in their elections. You would think yeah. if Russia was that important, the phony Russian dossier that Hillary paid for that the New York Times says was likely Russian disinformation from the beginning, meaning, oh, they they knew Hillary was going to spread these lies to hurt Trump. Sounds like Putin wanted Hillary to win. Then you got Ukraine interference. They don't pay attention to that. Um, They don't care about obstruction because there's no bigger slam dunk case than Hillary Clinton's subpoenaed emails erased, acid washing her hard drive and beating up her devices, mm-hmm. right? You think that yep. they care about, you know, violent sexual assault, but only if they can bludgeon Trump in the Kavanaugh case. I don't hear any I believers as it goes for the lieutenant governor of the Commonwealth of Virginia. So No, it, it never ends, Sean. How, you know, how about you think they'd care that their savior, Robert Mueller, you'd think they'd care that he had no idea how any of this even started. I mean, did you see that testimony? Oh, I watched it. Mr. Mueller, have you even read the report that bears your name? Uh, well, uh, you know, that poor clown didn't even realize he was totally used, you know, and, and all the you know, DNC lackeys that were below him were doing all the work, perpetrating all the nonsense, creating the largest hoax ever pushed on the American people. You know, you'd think that would matter, but it doesn't. Because it doesn't complete the narrative. The mainstream media is how is the it possible wing of the DNC and it needs to stop. How is it possible? Robert Mueller didn't know he hired Clinton's former attorney, Jeannie Ray. How is it possible that he didn't know w- what Fusion GPS was? How is it it's not possible, Sean? It, it's not possible. You know what else isn't possible? Statistically speaking, it's not possible to hire 19 lawyers on a team. That's supposed to be objective and unbiased that are all Hillary supporters or donors or worked on the campaign or were at her 
you know, failed victory party. That's impossible. Okay. Let, let's say it's 50, 50. How many, what are the odds that you could flip a coin and get the left on each and every one of those people? The whole thing was a setup. Again, it was the greatest hoax ever perpetrated on the American people. And then, you know, when that fails, when collusion fails, when the cover up, you know, that was the next narrative fails. Then it goes back to racism. And then last night, Rachel Maddow's back to Russia, Russia, Russia. But they got a nice legal letter from us today uh, about just that. Okay, that will fail and they'll be back to collusion. It never ends. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Go into the letter. What did they say? And what was what what did they say? Whether it was false. That's the other thing. They're they're saying that we had Russian oligarchs co-signing our loan agreements on national television. Oh, that was, uh, that there, was her and Lawrence there, O'Donnell, right? Yeah. I mean, think of how insane that is. So uh, they're getting I a actually, nice, uh, you know, legal letter because they've been able to get away with anything. They can say whatever they want. They can defame as much as they want. They go with the notion of, you know, well, we have, uh, you know, inside sources. Sources say, sources, say, you know, sources is like their intern who's never met anyone who doesn't know anything. And as long as someone says it, they can run See, with it. The problem uh, like is the wind and the rest of the media will carry it like it's gospel. The problem it is, stop. is that people that are in the public eye, the standard for defamation, slander, etc., is so high that people can pretty much say anything about me, you or your family and get away with it now. What's really interesting, you saw the media mob descend on this kid, Nicholas Sandman, because he had a Make America Great Again hat. Mm -hmm. And they saw not one phone call was ever made to him, his family, representatives. And they went with this narrative. Even when it was proven false, they continued the narrative. Because it was the holy grail of left wing hit jobs. They had a white Christian young male from the South. I mean, this was ooh. This is too good to be true. This is perfect. This kid, we can destroy his life. It doesn't matter, right? Yeah. It's sort of like what's been well, going he, on. But this the week problem the for them is, and their writers, he's not a public figure. Stuff. The problem for them is, and this kid has now hired uh, Lynn Wood, who's probably yep. the best defamation attorney in the entire country. And I guarantee mm-hmm. you, he's going to win hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in settlements. Because they, they're not going to want to go to trial and be embarrassed, which they will be. He should. But, Sean, think of the hypocrisy, though. The left was willing to ruin his life. Yep. Okay? The left was willing to ruin Justice Kavanaugh's of unfounded allegations from a what appeared to be a very off-base woman to me uh, about stuff that happened in high school. But then this week, some people I know catch a New York Times political editor and his anti-Semitic tweets from college. And, oh, oh my God, that's a threat to democracy. You can't call out our people. I mean, think about that. And a political editor for the New York Times is caught writing actual tweets in college. And that's totally off limits to them. He totally immune. But stuff that someone allegedly, based on no credible evidence, did in high school, we're more than happy to ruin their lives. Let me ask you this. How does this how does this now play out? going into 2020 and beyond? Well, you know, listen, it it, it works both ways. I have to believe, and I see it, Sean, you know, the American public gets it. They're much smarter than the elitist in the left-wing media would have you believe. I mean, you saw it on, you know, last month in Orlando when we launched sort of 2020. Uh, You know, there's 45,000 people show up and they're outside in the rain. And then later on, the commentary in the media is, oh, Sure. Oh, did you see those people? Oh, they're in their flip flops. That must be their formal wear. <laughs> I mean, the level well, of hatred and disdain that the liberal elite has for hardworking Americans 
who just want to see their kids be able to live the American dream. You know, our only net export for the last 50 years has been the American dream. But my father's changing that, Sean. And that hypocrisy, they see it. The left hates it because, man, by any reasonable metric, 2020 should be over, Sean. It shouldn't even be a, it shouldn't even be close. But because they can get away with this, because they can lie, they can cheat, they can steal, they can do whatever they want. And no one's ever going to call them out on it, with the exception of maybe you and me. <laughs> it. There's, they can get there's, away not, there's, not, there's not a lot of us, I'll tell you over. that. All right, uh, Donald Trump Jr. is with us. He's got a book coming out this fall. It's called Triggered, uh, How the Left Thrives on Hate Wants to Silence Us. Uh, you can get your copy now. Uh, we have a link on Hannity.com. All right, so what are your plans now? I know you have been traveling the country quite a bit and giving a lot of speeches, meeting a lot of people. You've raised a lot of money. What are your plans uh, to help your dad for 2020? And being on the road, obviously, you'll be on a book tour this fall. But what else? Listen, Sean, we're going to be out there fighting. Uh, you know, I, I didn't need this job like my dad didn't need this job, but we see what's going on. We see the benefits it's bringing. We see what common sense in the White House and actual real world experience is bringing to Americans and to the American people. You know, people are getting a chance to live the American dream again because we're bringing back those jobs. Uh, we're no longer exporting that dream to countries that hate our guts. So I'm going to be out there. I'm going to be fighting hard for it because it matters. You know, as, as an American, as a patriot, the father of five young kids, uh, I got to make sure that, that we preserve that because with another four more years after this war is finished, you know, we can really change and reverse the course of this country, get it going back on the right track where it belongs. And I can really think of nothing uh, more important than doing that, Sean. It, it matters so much. I'm actually in North Carolina right now doing a thing for Dan Bishop for the special election here on the 13th. And, uh, you know, this is what matters matters right now. Uh, and, um, you know, we need people to get out. We need people to be there. We need people to show up. Uh, we need them to vote. We need people in Congress and, and the Senate who are willing to actually fight, who are willing to get in there and have my father's back uh, and do the things that are necessary to make sure we keep winning. I mean, when you think about it, the agenda that's being pushed by the other side is scary. Very I mean, scary. They're, going, they're going full commie, Sean. And like, I experienced this stuff. I write about this in the book a little bit. Like growing up, I was blessed to have a mother that escaped communism. I had a grandfather who was a blue collar guy from that part of the world. Again, communist Czechoslovakia in the eighties, who, who was a big part of my life and brought me up. And you know, he made me come over there for six weeks every summer with him. I spoke the language. I had friends. I've seen bread lines. I've seen what that system does to hardworking people. And it's not pretty, Sean. There's a reason why no one who's ever lived under socialism or communism has ever advocated for it. All right, Donald, I got a Venezuela in America saying, hey, now bring the system that's killed our country. Yeah, nobody paid attention People from the former Soviet Union doing you. You see morons like Bernie preaching it because it sounds so great on paper because everything's free. But guess what, Sean? Nothing's free. And you and I both know that. And that's why the uh, government of Finland just collapsed. All right. Donald Trump Jr. Stay on the line for one second. Um, His new book, uh, it's up on Hannity.com. It's called Triggered, How the Left Thrives on Hate Wants to Silence Us. Coming out this fall. Quick break. Right back. We'll hit the phones next as we continue the Sean Hannity show. I'm, I sometimes fear what we're going to be living with when I'm 40, 50, 60 years old. I'm scared about disease. Uh, there's a lot of there are a lot of things frozen in the tundra. I should put a timer on this actually. Hold on. Um, there are a lot of diseases that are 
are frozen in some of these glaciers um, that scientists fear that there's a potential that a lot of diseases could um, escape these melted glaciers, things that were frozen for thousands of years, and that they're going to get into our water and that humans could contract them and they are going to be diseases that are thousands of years old that have vectors that we are not prepared for, that we have never seen. Um, and so, you know, that's a concern. Um, even if there are no diseases frozen at all in these glaciers, you have diseases that are spread by mosquitoes and now mosquitoes are starting to fly further north that carry diseases like malaria and um, and a whole slew of other things and uh, and there are you know parts of the United States and things that are moving much further north that we're going to have to contend with diseases that we haven't had to contend with in parts of the world before so there's disease there's sea level rise there is and by the way, sea level rise is probably one of the most expensive parts about climate change. Um, you think overhauling our economy to decarbonize and save the planet is going to be expensive? Try not decarbonizing our economy and allowing sea levels to rise, every coastal city to go underwater, every Midwestern city or large swaths of the middle of the country experiencing drought on a level that we have not seen. Um, that's going to be way more expensive. You think uh, artificially having to create our food supply because the earth and the earth no longer can sustain growing foods naturally or the sun is scorching the earth so much that we can't grow the foods that we used to be able to grow that's going to be a lot more expensive so we need to bite the bullet on the cost because the alternative to not spending the money is a death and b spending even more money only until we accept frankly, how um, bad climate change is and how bad it can be for our children's lives. Um, are we going to be comfortable pursuing really big solutions? And frankly, when it comes to climate change and climate change policy, we need to support the biggest solution that's on the table. Um, this is not about like just putting solar panels on people's roofs. This is about changing our consumption. This is about living our whole lives in a way that is more sustainable and humane. And um, it goes through everything. And people may not like it. And they may say, oh, my God, blah, blah, blah. Like, we're not trying to end cows and plane travel, but we need to change our lives. All of it. Our whole lives. We need to probably ban, well, no, we need to ban single-use plastic at some point, although that is not related to climate change, but it is related to our food supply and, um, and how we live. Um, there's a lot we have to do. And the thing is, is that the best thing we can do is be as supportive of climate policy and to prioritize it. Like, if you can make climate change one of your top three voting issues, that's a huge thing you can do. But also, if you change your personal consumption, um, that can do a lot as well. 
All right, there is the genius that represents the squad. That would be Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the real speaker in the House. Just, you know, Nancy Pelosi, speaker in name only. And the genius behind, well, we don't need to have a cost. And uh, all right, well, maybe we won't get rid of planes and cows anymore. But yeah, we're going to be all fossil fuels in 10 years and the doom and the gloom. You notice this is the people that have met the best standards and are the best stewards that have made the most improvement for the environment are the United States of America. And I love how the burden and the price and the politics behind this agenda are always put on the American taxpayer. Okay, so we're going to give up the lifeblood of our economy uh, in light of the fact that these are the dire predictions of people that don't have a clue as to what it is that they are talking about. You know, it all started out with a very simple premise. And you can go back in the 70s and check this out. The earth is about to enter the next ice age. Wow. All same people, same agenda. And what were human activity, human beings raping, pillaging the planet for profit because they're capitalists. That caused it. Well, okay. Then it evolved into, you know, we're about to burn up. Global warming is is going to burn us uh, within 10 years. It's always within 10 years. Always a sense of urgency. Then then that didn't happen. And we had some of the coldest years on record and uh, a lot of snow in the process. And then we say, all right, well, we'll just call it climate change. And if it rains, snows, doesn't rain, doesn't snow. If there are hurricanes, no hurricanes. If there's any type of uh, activities weather-wise, we will just attribute it to climate change and the human factor. Of course, we are responsible for everything, the destruction of the planet, uh, because greedy capitalists want to make profits, but they also make our lives better. It is, um, it is, and then everything in America is going to be free. This is what the new Green Deal is all about. Going to be off oil and gas in ten years. We're going to have free preschool education. We're going to now we're going to get kids in school. Now, remember, we pay more per capita per kid in this country than any other industrialized country. But we're like 37th. I mean, I can't believe we have 13 public high schools in Baltimore and not one single solitary student is proficient in reading and math. Not one. You know, New York just got their test scores back for kids in in grades three through eight. And they're like at 44 percent are proficient in in the fundamentals. 44%. They go, wow, this is good. We're great progress. We're doing really well. Like doing really well. How do we define success here? You know, is, is this, is that would be a failing grade by any standard. But that doesn't matter because we're making progress. We, we're 0.6% better than we were last year. Okay, that is pretty much, uh, you, you can't distinguish at that point. It is a statistical tie by every measure. You know, now they have these schools in New York that are working and every school in the city now is going to be engineered to match the exact racial mix of the city. And there should be no sorting of academic ability, uh, an education panel that was handpicked by Mayor de Blasio because they had these schools that were actually doing really, really well with kids that seem to be particularly gifted towards academics. But they're saying, well, no, that's now fundamentally unfair. That's not fair to the kids that don't seem to show that early talent and drive and love of education. 
Okay, so now we're just not going to have those schools anymore because otherwise it's not fair. At least fairness defined by liberal Democrats. And I'm sitting there as I'm reading all this today, I'm thinking, you know, well, we did have another successful experiment in New York City. It was in all girls, private school, kids in uniforms. The grades went up. The kids loved it. The parents loved it. It was working. And no, we can't have that because it's not fair. Everything's not fair. And so we're going to they stop that program. They were sued to stop that program. I think it was by the New York Civil Liberties Union, if I recall correctly. Um, but now we've got in the name of diversity, they they're going to destroy what was the best performing schools in New York City. And they're going to do it in the name of fairness. If certain kids have certain athletic gifts, I would put them in a in a school that fostered an athletic environment. If other kids have musical gifts, why not put them in a school that fosters their musical talents? If certain kids have scientific gifts, why not put them in a school that that will literally foster and bring out of them the talent and and interest that they have and the proclivity of of success that they have? Remember, the root word for education from the Latin means to bring forth from within. Some kid, every I believe every kid has gifts. Some kids have science gifts, math gifts. Some kids are great writers and readers and, you know, others have real great people skills and a friendly personality. And you, you can get them into the right profession for them later in their career. Athletic skills, whatever it happens to be, musical talent. And you can help foster. No, that would be. Well, we, we can't do that. And so now they're going to put to end one of the not only more popular policies, but one that was actually working in New York. I mean, this was the one the one school that was actually succeeding, you know, the one school system that was actually working, the one experiment that actually, you know, did it. So, you know, it just it makes no sense. They want this fairness. Then what do you think the wealth tax is all about? So you live in a state like New York or California, all these high tax states that are losing massive amounts of population because people don't like after decades and decades of Democratic Party rule. Well, what do they do with all of the money? They're certainly not improving the schools. Every time we hear about lotteries, money is going to go to the children. Okay, well, we're spending the money, are we? And then what? What happens? The grades don't improve. Anyway, so they have decided in New York to end the gifted and talented education uh, portion of the New York City public school system because, um, well, it's it, it literally, I guess, is too successful, but only for some kids. About two thirds of New York City public school students are black or Latino, but in the city's better resource programs called gifted and talented programs, about 75 percent of students are white or Asian. This new report requested by Mayor Bill de Blasio and carried out over two years makes recommendations to change how the system is now. Don't have an admissions policy based on a single test. Those are the things that exclude kids because they're poor. That's the upshot of the 39-page report. It also calls for replacing gifted and talented programs with what's called enrichment models, a way that the panel says still identifies bright students but de-emphasizes testing. It also calls for stopping or reducing the screening of students to get into middle and high schools. And this is big. Redraw the borders of the 32 school district lines that are within the city. New York likes to think of itself 
as a cutting edge city that's leading the country. We absolutely are not on public education. The co-chair of the group that worked on and wrote the report is clear. The head of the schools, not as much. I look forward to diving into these recommendations and sharing our response with you as soon as humanly possible. You know, not every kid is born with the same talent. That's the whole point. Education to bring forth from within. What are the natural God-given gifts people have? Everybody on my team that I'm looking at right now, even the new guy, whatever the new guy's name is, I hear he's an alphabet letter. Everybody that I'm looking at right now, I'm looking at six people, and they all have very different skills and talents that they contribute to the show every day. Every one of them. And every kid has a unique talent. We're created equally, but everybody's born with special talents. But, you know, forget it. Let's just let's just let's just get rid of that idea. You know, they, they have a gifted and talented education program and they're just going to blow that up. And that means the opportunity for so many kids just is wiped away. And that's going to be the same thing. Everything's going to be for free. They're going to confiscate every bit of money we have. And if you get to save any money, remember, Elizabeth Warren and, and others will come back with a wealth tax after you pay in, you know, your 40 percent federal income tax, your 13 and a half percent state income tax in California, New York, it's 10 percent state, 3 percent, 4 percent city. So that's now 54 cents of every dollar. Then you got your sales taxes. You got your property taxes. You know, it's 60 some odd cents of every dollar you're giving to the government. And then if you save some, if you're dumb enough to save any, well, then they're going to come back and say, well, give us more. We're going to tax the wealth that you have saved. Now that's money that's already been taxed. They'll tax it again. Why? To pay for everybody's education, everybody's retirement, everybody's guaranteed job, everyone's guaranteed healthy food, everyone's guaranteed healthy, healthy, healthy this. And of course, Medicare for all. But you can't get your own private insurance. And then when you die... You know, if you die in New York, you pay 16% death tax. If you die nationally, 50% of your money that you save, the government comes in and steals. That's license stealing. We've had people in government create laws that allow them to pick our pockets and rob us blind. And that's exactly what they're doing. Stay right here for our final news roundup and information overload. In the final hour of the Sean Hannity Show. Put it into perspective. Is the president right when he says a recession's not on the way? He is not right, but a recession is okay. A recession is a normal part of economic activity. That's why I think you're going to see a lot of big crashes. Once the psychology of the market really cottons onto the fact that this president isn't going to make a deal with China, things are as bad as we think, then you're going to see big crashes. And so they're also interesting among the Republican support in Congress. One of the things that I've often thought is when will Republicans in Congress stand up to the president on some of the offensive things he says? When the economy turns out, maybe the one that thing that gets their attention. Yep. All right, there it is. Let's talk down a great economy. Here we have seven million new jobs in America since Donald Trump's been president. Here we have seven million fewer Americans on food stamps. Here we have millions of other Americans out of poverty. Here we have the first time in 75 years 
Thanks to the elimination of burdensome regulation, we are energy independent and a net exporter of energy. If we take this, this all of these natural resources, and we maximize our ability to distribute and get it to those people that are allied countries of ours, well, it's the lifeblood of every economy. You get a couple of benefits. Number one, we don't have to bow uh, and kiss up to countries that hate our guts uh, for the lifeblood of our economy any longer, nor will we have to get involved in entanglements as it involves the free flow of oil at market prices. Uh, look at what happened recently with the Straits of Hormuz. The Straits of Hormuz, from a geopolitical national security standpoint for the United States, has never been less important than it is now. We don't need Iranian oil or Kuwaiti oil or Saudi Arabian oil. Uh, we are a net exporter. We have more energy. You want you want to see the average American. If you want to see a rise in the standard of living of every American, well, that's our ticket. We literally have a gold mine under our feet. If only we'd tap these resources and every American can benefit from it. State of Alaska gives a check to every resident every year because of their natural resources. Anyway, somebody who's going to disagree with all of this probably supports the Green New Deal and everything else is uh, Austin Goolsby. Can't believe he's still a professor. He hasn't got fired. He must have tenure at Chicago's Boot School of uh, Economics, former chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors for the failed Obama administration. How are you? Hey, John. It's going to be the Bears year. You've been watching the NFL? Oh, man. I don't know. Is that what you want to talk? You don't want to talk about Trump's economic success. I can tell you that. Let's talk about the economy. I didn't disagree with everything you said this time, Sean. You you gave that description about energy. I thought that was was well-reasoned and and agreed with a lot of what you said. But every 2020 Democratic presidential hopeful has bought into some version of the Green New Deal. And the main version says, let's get rid of all oil and gas in 10 years. That's the lifeblood of our economy. That wasn't a presidential proposal. That was AOC's proposal. No, the 2020 (laughs) candidates are supporting it. Your logic, I would have thought your logic, you would not be... You would not. You would at least not be opposed to wind power and solar power, uh, because yeah, I'm all for wind power right outside of the Kennedy compound in Nantucket, where they refuse to put it. (laughs) Let's put it there. I know where you're going. Yeah, Yeah. you know where I'm going. You know, but here's the thing. Look, if you come up with new sources of energy that are cheaper and doable and sustaining and uh, it works for the American people. I'm all for it. I don't have a problem with yes, competition. Exactly. Um, yes. Listen, there, there are theories That's out there that work. even I suggest that. that if we could ever tap into the gravitational pull itself, it would be an endless stream of energy for everybody for free. So there's all sorts of things that might happen down the road. But as of today, the lifeblood of every economy on the face of the earth is what? Oil and gas, true or false? Oil, gas, though, though the solar and wind has, the price of that has come way down. So so a lot of the new uh, electricity that's getting built out. Right, let me is, ask the question a different way. Is there any country, industrialized country, that can make their economy work and be competitive without oil and gas? No, I don't think so. No way. You know, you're actually. So here's the problem. You, you, yeah, that's the squad's plan. That's AOC's plan. But here's the problem. 
Uh, you got Kamala Harris supporting it. You got Beto Bozo, uh, Robert Francis supporting it. Oh, now wait a minute. Hold on. You got huge difference. You got Pocahontas. Pocahontas is supporting it. They support Uh, the angry socialist Bernie Sanders is supporting it. Joe Biden came out with a version (laughs) of support for it. Wait a minute. There's one. Take take one. Take one extremely important point in particular that's different about the Green Deal. One of them's the New Green Deal and one's the Green New Deal, but I can't remember which is which. But one of them is about, was about banning carbon-based fuels. The other, the other ones were not about banning them. They said that they wanted to get the cost of these newer energies down so much that people would choose to use them. And you could say that you think that's unrealistic, and, I, and I, it probably is unrealistic in a, in a near-term setting. But that's totally different than. than well, some the of them want to get rid of they uh, want to ban those fuels. They want to get rid of planes and cows because of flatulence. No, but they didn't. They didn't say that they were going to ban those things. Only the most extreme version said. Okay. Ban the well, let's take and, Maca- and, Let's take. Well, Kamala Harris is as close to. Ocasio-Cortez is any of them. And then she adds to that. And all the other candidates have a version of Medicare for all. And in Kamala Harris's plan, there would be no private health insurance. None. I think she walked that back. She walked it. No, she she did. And then she walked it back again. She wouldn't do that. Yeah, but then she changed her mind. Yeah, she changed my mind back. Uh, Yeah. Some of those Medicare for alls are actually completely reasonable and they actually cost less than the Uh the current health system in the United States. You know what? You know what? Very popular. It's $94 trillion estimate for the first 10 years. That's nearly the whole budget. That's that's Bernie's. That's Bernie's plan. Uh, Okay. But they're pretty similar. Medicare for all, no, no private insurance. Like I say, that Medicare for everyone, which is different from Medicare for all. It's sort of like keep your doctor, keep your nothing. It's cheaper than the current system. Yeah, sure. Keep your doctor, keep your plan, and save money. That worked out really well, didn't it? Hey, this is the Congressional Budget Office. We don't need to go back into that. Uh, well, we don't want to go back into that. That because millions lost their plans, millions lost their doctors, and everybody when paid you more. Say millions lost their plans, Sean. That's correct. Of people got covered. Who it was the second. That wasn't the promise. No, that's a nice in the history of the United States. That's a nice shift of topics. Wait a minute. Millions of Americans, fact, lost the plans. Obama said millions will you will not lose your plan. Millions lost their doctors and you're going to save money. Correct. And you're going to save money and nobody saved money. That was a mistake. Yeah. So every promise he made was a lie. No, it's for two percent of people that proves not to be. I don't care if it's one person. If you know, okay. we, we have we have so many towns, cities and counties where people only have one doctor to choose from. One yeah. plan. And Donald Trump's plan is shutting down those rural hospitals. What I mean, what do you this is a this is a thing where you let the barbecue on fire and then you're complaining that your meat is overcooked. I mean, the, the, the Republicans attempted to destroy and have resisted every aspect of Obamacare, did not expand Medicaid in many of the red states and then turn around and say, oh, look, we haven't had an expansion of health care coverage. That's why they haven't had an expansion of health care coverage. They didn't embrace the plan. All right. Here's what I need to know from you. Okay. 
is Donald Trump done a good job for the economy? Because we now have the best employment situation since 1969. We have record low unemployment for African-Americans, Hispanic yes, Americans, that part is very good. Asian yeah. Americans, women in the workplace, youth unemployment. Donald Trump did that. You give him the credit? Yeah, he, he kept continuing what was. No, 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 no. We have Obama's. I'll give you Obama's statistics again if you want. But since Trump's been Obama president. added 14 million jobs. Trump si- has added. 7 million since he's been there. Okay. We had, and, at a slower rate than Obama did. But and Obama had, added 13 million more Americans to food stamps and 8 million more Americans yeah, went into poverty. The level, and I'm talking about the trajectory. Okay, but and, I'm, I'm just giving so you what facts. What I would say is, I would say it's a mixed bag and there, that the president, President Trump, has done some good things. And as I have repeatedly said we've had the longest expansion in u.s history about two-thirds of that was under president obama about one-third of that is under president trump austin you're living in a you're living in a fantasy world because obama's policies we had the worst recovery and recession under Barack Obama since the 1940s. We had the no. lowest home ownership rate no. in 51 years. No. We yes. had the lowest labor. We had, the lowest home ownership. we had a housing bubble. We had, uh, of course, we had the we lowest. Had, home okay, but he had eight years to fix it. And then we had the lowest yes. labor participation rate since the 70s. And he put 13 million on, on food stamps. You can't no, argue. And he accumulated more debt than 43 presidents before him combined. And Donald Trump is running up the deficit at a faster rate than Barack Obama ever did, including during the worst downturn of our lifetimes. So right, stay right I don't there. Think that's the space you want to go into. I think after this, you're going to need, you know, you're going to be pretty stressed out. So I'm going to I'm going to send you a package from our friends at Chamonix. And it's the best okay. thing you're ever going to use. And well, okay. their number one best seller is called Genucel. And it gets rid of bags and puffiness under your eyes. Guaranteed. You'll see results in 12 hours. My eyes, John? Yeah, no, after I, I kind of <laughs> I kind of beat you up a little bit, you know, they get a little puffy under the eyes. So all right, as we continue with our good friend, Austin Goolsby. Uh, all right. Who right now intrigues you the most on the Democratic Party side? Who do you think will get the nomination? Who do you want to get the nomination for the Democrats? Well, as you know, the guy that I knew and I and I helped him a bit when he was running for the Senate was Beto O'Rourke. And you make fun of him. But he's a he's a very decent guy. Um, and, and I have liked him. He he hasn't he hasn't caught on. I know Mayor Pete and I like him. Um pretty well. I still feel like Biden is the leader until somebody knocks him out of there. You think Biden is. So what about all these gaffes? He doesn't know what state he's in. Uh, Let's see. Um, Yeah, look, he does that. He has us. He needs to get some more discipline. We take truth over facts. Even his wife says, but you may have to swallow to vote for him. (laughs) Is that true? (laughs) And then then he had his brain surgeon come out to tell us, yeah, his brain is actually working. And then uh, look, I, I, I came when my time in the White House, I worked closely with the vice president and I came to really deeply admire him as a person. He's a very, very decent guy and he needs to get more discipline. Yes. But I'm telling you, if he is the nominee this contest where he had to go beat 24 other candidates is going to prove to have been the best thing that ever happened to him. I think your old friend from Chicago, David Axelright, 
uh, Axelrod has it right when he says this is probably the best Biden's got and the strategy to try and hide him from everybody, which apparently they're trying to do, uh, is not going to work. Either you can cut it or you can't cut it. Now, I watch him on the campaign trail. I don't think he's cutting it. He didn't know what state he was in last past weekend. You know, how many more times is he going to refer to Theresa May as Margaret Thatcher? How many more times is he going to make a gaffe? You can't go to a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin' Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. My state's a slave state. Here you have, for the first time ever, an African-American that's clean and bright and articulate. It's storybook, I mean, man. You're, you're, you're going, you're rolling the way back machine here. Well, I mean, I'm rolling the mighty. St- what is 15 years ago? Look, I'm telling you, Joe Biden is a decent man. And people know that. And yes, they know that he sticks his foot in his mouth. He's, he always has done that. But I don't think that when they see, you see the stuff that, President Trump tweets out the crazy, offensive stuff as well as unhinged, I hereby announce that every company in America should stop doing business yeah. with China. I don't think they're going hey, to. By the way, China, China just sticks his foot in his Listen, mouth. we got we got better trade. Listen, NATO's paying more because the president forced them to. Uh, we got a better trade deal with Canada and Mexico. Now Japan. No. Uh, excuse me. Yes, no. we did. And yeah, we did. Uh, Yes. And the Chinese, there's a five hundred billion dollar trade imbalance because of the tariffs. We don't have fair trade with China. And the president is saying, I believe in free trade and fair trade. And you're not going to put tariffs on our guys and uh, not have reciprocity. And what's happening is well, now the, the Chinese, because to the, say for what the president's approach has been, is that it's muddled and confused. The, and an 11 year low of their currency and, and many times is crazy. The 20 it's it's 27 years since they've had this kind of economic slowdown in China. Now, of course, they want to go back to the table and negotiate. But they don't. Yeah, but they are because they, they have no choice. Going back to the table to negotiate. Look, we got them to stop devaluing their currency. And the way we did that is we got our allies together. We went to them behind the scenes. We had specific right. demands. We said, you're going to stop doing this or else we will have to do this. I think you're going to vote for Trump. That's what I'm hearing. Devaluing. And now that Donald Trump is starting this, they're back to devaluing their currency. It's like we're moving backwards. Yeah. Well, let them keep doing it because it's killing their economy. Um, all right. Austin Goolsby, thank you. 800. Great talking to you again, Sean. I miss you. I really need this jolt of uh, adrenaline every day. 800-941-SEAN. Toll-free telephone number. Quick break. Right back. We'll continue. Straight ahead. Sir, I asked you to please, please bring my son home. He is an outstanding young man that fought willingly for his country. My son made the decision. I'm very proud for the decision he made. Because today I still have my son instead of a folded flag. Actions that you have taken have shown me that you believe in second chances. And that's all I'm asking you for is a second chance for my son. Thank you. All right. That's the uh, mother. You can hear the pain in her voice of uh, First Lieutenant Clint Lawrence. We have talked about Clint a lot on this program. It's been a while. And uh, he was with the 82nd Airborne Division, U.S. Army, and he's now facing a 20 year jail sentence. We've gone over the the particulars in this case. Now, we had the case of Eddie Gallagher. We saw a media rush to judgment. We saw people rush to judgment. Everyone said, oh, it's guilty, guilty, guilty. 
We have some very, very significant, serious problems, especially when we go back to the Obama era and their rules of engagement. We ask these kids to put their life on the line. And then we have a bunch of guys in offices in the safety and security of their bases back at home uh, that are analyzing what you do in a life and death situation and a call that you have to make that if you make the wrong call could result in the death of the people that you serve with. And as a platoon leader, you are supposed to uh, protect as their leader. Now, so we've got a case in, in th- this is an interesting case to me. And it's frustrating to me more as much as it is for the family and everybody else. So Clint Lawrence leads men on a combat control through heavily, you know, mine planted Afghan minefields that they have. And his platoon moves single file. Why? To avoid the mines, the IEDs that are being planted. He is two thirds of the way back. Can't see front. And at 8 a.m., three Afghani men start charging. Well, Clinton Lawrence's team on motorcycles. Now, this is on a road that is controlled by the Taliban. It is they ignore all signs to stay off the road. They weren't supposed to be there. Now, before Clint Lawrence got his position with this particular pl- platoon that he is leading, uh, it was about a week earlier that guys on motorcycles with IEDs actually ended up killing the platoon leader and other members of this new platoon that Clint Lawrence had taken over. So you got to keep this in context, this context, this texture to all of this. And anyway, so all of this is happening here. And all these motorcycles, again, we just had members of this platoon killed by guys on motorcycles. Now they're heading towards this platoon again on motorcycles, not stopping at the area where they were supposed to stop. So now Clinton Lawrence is the leader. Clinton Lawrence knows the history of what happened two weeks prior to him becoming the platoon leader. And so he has got maybe five, 10, 15 seconds to make a decision. What do I do here? Is this another? Am I going to have more American kids killed by these guys on motorcycles? And what do I do? Well, he had 15 seconds to decide. As per the uh, testimony at the court martial hearing, the Taliban had been killing Americans by suicide motorcycle bombings. It happened to this very platoon. And concerned about the attack, Lawrence ordered his men to open fire. Who are we to second guess that decision? I mean, look, just seriously, who are we to second guess that decision? His men killed two of the three riders. Now, the interesting thing is, is that Evidence surfaced after the fact because they didn't have IEDs with them on the motorcycles. And later on, after the trial, we find out that the DNA of these guys on these motorcycles were on IEDs. And it's just it's it's a, a comedy of errors. But the problem is, is we have government officials in Washington and people that don't know rules of engagement that never should be applied to troops in battle. You know, when we're fighting wars, the idea is to win the war. The idea is to protect your platoon. And if you had two weeks ago, guys on motorcycles kill members of the very same platoon, you would think new guys on motorcycles are there to do the same thing. And if you're the platoon leader, you've got to make the call. Now, let's just say for a second that Clint Lawrence made the other decision. 
And it turned out there was another attack like two weeks prior. Okay, now he has to live the rest of his life knowing that he should have acted because how many platoon members or maybe even himself were killed? You can't fight a war this way. And now he is in Leavenworth. He's got a 20-year sentence. Anyway, with all that said, joining us now is Lieutenant Colonel John Mahar and uh, former DOJ attorney representing Clint Lawrence and Don Brown, a former U.S. Navy JAG officer. And he's the author of the book, Travesty of Justice, the shocking prosecution of Lieutenant uh, Clint Lawrence, one of the uh, four former JAG officers serving on Lawrence's legal team. Uh, guys, what's the update in the case? I mean, do we have a shot of getting Clint Lawrence out of Leavenworth? back in society where he belongs. Uh, to me, number one, we have no right to second guess that decision in light of what had happened. And number two, the rules of engagement, we we can't send men and women into fight wars with, with handcuffs on the way we have been doing. Sean, it's John Marr. Thank you so much, sir, for having us on the case today or on the program this afternoon. Yes, we have a chance if you and Linda and the rest of the Hannity program continue to put out to your readership, listenership, and everyone out there who understands the fact that Lawrence did not get a fair trial. If you look at what we filed earlier this afternoon, it's called uh, just a regular letter to the, shall I say, the Secretary of the Army. In the Secretary of the Army, we've asked him to commence an investigation because, much like the Gallagher case, in the Gallagher case, you're bugging Americans, you're bugging the uh, defense attorneys, and the, the, the Justice Department was not there. You were spying on American citizens. What we have done now recently is ask the Secretary of the Army to follow the Secretary of the Navy's actual lead. He stepped up and said, I think that's problems in the Navy JAG Corps. We're asking for the Army JAG Corps to look in the same. And the Lawrence case is just the tip of the iceberg. And so that's where we are right now with regard to the Lawrence case. Uh, just to add what John said, um, Sean, uh, when you look at what happened to the Gallagher case, as bad as that was, what's happened with Lawrence makes Gallagher almost look like romper room. And I'm, as an ex-Naval officer, I'm so grateful that the Secretary of the Navy is now initiating a review. As John says, it must be done in the Army. But the reason it's happening in the Navy is because President Donald Trump got involved in that Gallagher case. And he is the commander-in-chief of the Armed Forces, and it's his job ultimately to ensure good order and discipline. The president was at his finest, I thought, July 4th when he called for young men and women to join the military. But the military has to understand that commander-in-chief has their backs. And I know when you look at what's happened with Clint Lawrence, there's no longer a question as whether there's guilt or innocence because the Army hid biometrics evidence of guilt. Of Excuse me, they hid biometrics evidence that these bomb makers were the guys that got killed. Clint's men killed the enemy. But now the question is, what can the president do? As you know, Sean, the defense team, of which I'm honored to be a part of and serving under John here, has prepared an order to disapprove the findings and sentencing for Clint's court-martial, and all we need is one presidential signature. And you mentioned a moment ago some of the Obama-era rules. Well, I would ask President Trump to remember what happened in the, the Obama era. Look at Bo Bergdahl. We, we, sent, we sent many Americans looking for that guy. He deserted his unit in Afghanistan. We lost six Americans, and Obama tried five Taliban for that guy. Sean, that guy never served one day behind bars, and he deserted this country. Clint Lawrence is here for 20 years. 
it's absolutely ridiculous. And I do agree and, and concur with my colleague. And the more we can keep this in the public uh, arena, the better, because we don't want Clinton to be forgotten. But, you know, we've got Labor Day coming up. The president's got the opportunity to the one signature to make it a star-spangled Labor Day. And I just appeal to him, please sign and autograph that order to disallow the findings and sentences in Clint's court-martial. Let's get this done and don't make Clint rot one more day in prison. He's an American hero and it's a travesty of justice in all forums. There have been several members of the Congress who have made overtures to the administration. Congressman Bill Flores out of Texas being one, Garrett Graves out of Louisiana being another, and most recently Congressman Abraham out of Louisiana have made direct overtures to the administration. Uh, whether or not they've gotten right into the president's ear, I don't know, but we've had some a bit of congressional support. But you know, Mr. President, if you're listening, you know we've got the papers ready now. Question I have is, is there anybody within government, within the Defense Department itself or in any part of the military that, you know, uh, might be fighting this? Yes. Yes, Mr. Hensley. That's what I want to know. Who is in the president's ear telling him when he asked the question, uh, why should I why, why shouldn't I do this? Why? And who would be saying something negative? What happens is, John, go ahead. The, to the answer, it's the Judge Advocate General of the Army, Lieutenant General Charles Petey. It's also Brigadier General Joseph Berger III. Both of those fine officers, and we never question their patriotism, but they have bought a party line to protect the Army rather than to say, we want to make sure that this process produces a constitutionally compliant What would they be saying on the other side of this? Because I think this is an important question, because I know how President Trump works on issues like this. He hears about it. He says, wait, what? And then he asked people that would know or tells people to get to know. And those arguments need to be overcome and and disproven. And how do you do that? Sean, they're going to give an incomplete picture. I'm sorry. Go ahead, John. Go ahead. But but, but, but what would be the motivation of anybody in the military to allow the sacrifice of one brave soldier uh, that did the right thing? Well, you know, what, what, what is their possible motivation to, and to try I'll and get this sure. thing right, this injustice righted? Mr. Handy, I'll at, take it. Here's the, why. They're quit, defending John. the army and the results rather than defending the process. I only made it to lieutenant colonel, and I was not the smartest kid around. But I will tell you this. There you are. They have adopted an advocacy position rather than an entrusting of the process, and that's where they belong. When you make lieutenant general, when you make brigadier general, and when there's only a small number of army judge advocates, you are entrusted with ensuring your process produces a constitutionally liable and protected result. And what they have done now, they forgot that they are in charge of the process. Instead, they become advocates, and they want to protect it really is- and- it's really sad. Go ahead, Don. You wanted to weigh in. I was just going to say they're going to hide information from the president. They're going to say, Mr. President, this guy was com- convicted of murder. Yeah, but they won't They won't tell the president he never pulled the trigger. They won't tell the president we've got biometrics showing that his guy shot the enemy. They won't tell him that. They'll say his guys testified against him. Yeah, but they won't tell the president that those – 
handful of officers of uh, soldiers who testified against him were ordered to testify by the commander of the 82nd Airborne and put under a grant of immunity. They won't tell you any of that. They won't tell the president that Clint Lawrence never pulled a trigger, nor will they tell the president that he only had 15 seconds to act in a war zone where people are getting killed, whereas you pointed out just three weeks later there was a huge motorcycle attack at Kandahar Air Base killing 22 Afghans. They won't tell him that. They will only give him the result, as John said, to protect the result for the integrity of the Army. They dug in deep. These guys are Obama appointees. They dug in deep, and they're trying to protect their position. The president sees the entire evidence. This thing would have been over a long time ago, and we can get that evidence to him in a heartbeat. All right. We'll do our best to help you out. Uh, This is a travesty of justice. We've been on this case for too long. It has been ignored by too many. And there is no rationale that anybody can give me that we're going to put these kids in harm's way and these kids get killed in the line of duty. And then we send in a, a new platoon leader. The same conditions are unfolding right before his eyes. And to me, the fact that, um, you know, this has happened. We, we, we can't ask these guys to go fight and put handcuffs on them and then put them on trial when they have to make split second decisions that are life and death for the people that they are ordered to protect. Uh, John, Don, thank you both. Appreciate you being with us. Uh, we're not finished with this issue. We're going to stay on it. 800-941-SEAN, toll-free telephone number. You want to be a part of the program. All right, that's going to wrap things up for today. All right, we're expecting the Horowitz report on James Comey tomorrow. We expect it has criminal referrals and a lot of information about Mr. Super Patriot you're not going to want to miss. Uh, we'll give a preview of that tonight. We are loaded up. We'll also cover, yes, CNN saying, oh, Donald Trump has killed million mo- millions more more than Stalin, Hitler, and even Mao combined. Anyway, Lindsey Graham, the great one, Mark Levin, John Solomon, Ari Fleischer, Larry Elder, Tammy Bruce, and much more. 9 Eastern, Hannity, Fox News. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you tonight at 9, back here tomorrow.